0: There is an opportunity now, I think, as things get more automated, to bring that digital marketing budget and kind of swing it back the other way to the longer-term brand type of things. You know, if you're a brand in the B two B space that is supposed to be friendly, is supposed to be approachable, supposed to have uh, subject matter experts you can trust that are accessible and, and solve problems for other businesses, well, you know, you, you can put them on a chatbot. Welcome to the B two B Digitized Podcast. Where leaders of B2B technology startups and scale-ups learn how to use digital transformation to differentiate, educate, build trust, improve competitive positioning, close sales faster without compromise, and scale revenue growth. Now here's your host, Joshua Feinberg from SP Home Run.
1: Hi, it's Joshua Feinberg from the B2B Digitized Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me here today. I'm welcoming Chris Carpentier, who is a product marketing manager at Benchmark in Phoenix. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Josh. You, you were um, the, the original, as far as I'm concerned, for getting me into marketing in the first place. I remember when you were hosting the HubSpot user groups over in down in Boca Raton, Florida, Um, And I was, I was, I attended one of those as a part of a SCORE conference, Service Corps Retired Executives, I think junior year or something. that's really what kind of pushed me in this direction. So it's uh, kind of surreal to be here now and talking to you many years later and and really appreciate to be on the show.
1: That's (laughs) awesome. You know, it's funny when looking back now, when we first met, it was probably back in 2015, about six years ago. What impressed me is I didn't see a lot of college students taking the initiative to come out and learn about small business issues and entrepreneurial issues. And it reminded me a little bit of something that I would have done my junior, sophomore, senior year in college, trying to figure out everything about what to do at Next Step. So yeah, that really made a strong impression And I remember you also were instrumental in introducing me to the folks at, um, at Tech Runway too. So you were involved with that at the, at the time. Cool. Um, so for our Viewers, or listeners who aren't familiar with your background, could you walk me through a little bit about your career journey, how you ended up in your current role at Benchmark um, and, and kind of steps along the way that got you there?
0: Sure, sure. So um, like we were talking about just now, as far as um, my start in business, started at Florida Atlantic University, I have a really good entrepreneurship program over there. So I got a degree in management and entrepreneurship at FAU, um, really got involved in the and the startup community tech runway being a great example of an accelerator that is ex- spinning out some really, really exciting businesses um, in the South Florida area. Um, from there, wanted to go to a tech company, found a really exciting one in it, uh, which is an IoT company primarily and um, started as a kind of generalist in the marketing team and really started focusing more in the three-year tenure there towards content marketing and, and digital marketing as kind of my, my specialty area and something I really enjoyed. Um, after that, wanted to go get my MBA, decided it'd be a good time to get a, a, a broader, higher level scope of, of the world of business and how I could contribute. So I found the Arizona State University, MBA program to be a really, really exciting one to join. Again, kind of similar to FAU as far as a really great startup culture, a really great tech scene over here too in Phoenix that's growing. Um, So that was attractive to me along with the weather going from Florida to Arizona. You can see where my priorities lie. Um, So two years there, did an internship at Merck in their strategy, the pharmaceutical company Merck in their uh, strategy department specifically for sales and marketing. That was really interesting completely not focused on external messaging, more internally getting everybody together and on the same page as what markets to target and different things like that out of my comfort zone. But that's what made it exciting. And then um, decided to stay in Tempe when, when it came to full-time employment after the MBA. And this is where, where Benchmark seemed like a great fit. Uh, so Benchmark is about a $2 billion size firm in the, uh, um, what, People mostly sees the contract manufacturing space. We call ourselves like an engineer and manufacturing services firm. So we help bring products to market for larger OEMs that operate in um, pretty complicated or regulatory heavy spaces. Um, And it was an exciting role for me because I got to dip my hand a little bit into product marketing, even if primarily we're offering these manufacturing services, how we bring them to market value propositions and things like that is what I focus on in the industrial Uh, medical and and semi cap sectors. So it's been about three months in the benchmark role, really enjoying it so far. And um, yeah, we're wrapping our heads around all sorts of these digital strategies that you bring up on the podcast every every week.
1: It's really fascinating to look (laughs) at your background that you've managed in a very short period of time to have experience with entrepreneurs, startups like um, pre-revenue, mid-market for a couple of years, and now enterprise, which would really give you some very interesting perspective on how to structure different campaigns and goals and initiatives with very different levels of resources.
0: Early on, I'm trying to capture as much as much perspective as possible to inform (laughs) the rest of my career. So I'm I'm really grateful and blessed that I've been able to do that so far. Yeah,
1: that's terrific. (laughs) So for someone that is just getting started, that's contemplating a career in marketing and working with a company that's going to be focus a little bit more on the business side on on B2B, what advice would you give to someone that's just starting out that they should be thinking about in the first couple of years of their career?
0: Um, I would say it's really important for those type of folks to kind of put themselves in the shoes of the buyer and try to really understand the buyer journey on a deeper type of level. Um, I think that, you know, when, you, when you're going into like the B2B, B2B marketing world, it's kind of easy to focus on, okay, let me put out as much content as possible. You know, what are the different topics that the company I'm working for uh, covers? And okay, like, let me put out some content and we'll go from there. Um, but I think in that rush of things, and that's that's a new learning for them, right? They're going into the B2B marketing world. Maybe they haven't written blogs before. Maybe they haven't, you know, identified what a customer journey is or the different steps to it. So they focus on these like external big things. But there's actually a lot of stuff introspectively they could look at themselves as a B2B buyer or as a B2C buyer, as far as, you know, what they do in their consumer life that could would inform them better about the journey of their customers that they're trying to target. You know, we you talk about it a lot on the podcast. It's one of the reasons I really enjoy following your LinkedIn, for example, is you'll, you'll talk about how our consumer lives affect our lives as B2B buyers or, you know, the, the, the folks that we're trying to uh, influence as marketers. And I think that's, that's really apt when it comes to, we want things quicker, we want to talk to people, salespeople less and less. And if you can think of those things as a new person in the B2B marketing space, you might think to yourself, oh, okay, maybe a CT, the only CTA that we have being download a white paper or be contacted by a salesperson isn't actually going to get me the conversions that I need. And um, that's that's but you know one pretty big and important lesson that will hopefully drive those folks to bigger success as they consider what other CTAs you might want to look at, or what other types of, you know call to actions you're going to put at the end of the blog or an end of a white paper or something to actually get conversions and make people feel as if they're going to get some help by pressing that button or what have you.
1: It's interesting as if I think about this five or six year period, even, leading up to the pandemic, there was a really strong motion and people wanting to self-serve and not really want, and just doing tons of research before they're open to talking with someone from sales and it being more and more difficult for sales to get involved in these early conversations. And then of course, now with nobody having uh, physical phones on their desk very often anymore and people working from home and just the whole notion has completely changed. I'm wondering. In the roles that you've had, if you think about when you were just starting to learn about digital marketing as a student back at FAU, where the curriculum was probably either current or maybe even a few years and in, in rearview mirror with that to where we are now, does it seem like it's just been six years of progress and acceleration? Or do you see a much bigger, uh, much bigger jump forward in terms of people's buying behaviors?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there really has been a big jump forward, and and I think the issue lies, like uh, for example, like during the MBA, let's say, right during my MBA in the past two years, I and mean, that's when that acceleration happened. It hit kind of like right between first and second year, and so you've got marketers that might be in that program for the first time, trying to switch careers from engineering to marketing or supply chain to marketing, and they have a picture of an organization back before the MBA that just isn't the same now that the MBA. Has come through, and so that that really changes things as far as where some of the priorities should lie. I think the other difficult thing is that makes it a case where, you know, if you're going to bring these new types of call to actions or or new ways of influencing folks along the buyer's journey, you're going to have to get out of the marketing bubble and talk to other people elsewhere in your organization to get some of this stuff done. You know, if if um, self service is a really important thing, okay, then you know, maybe we're having a chat bot on the website that is going to help people click through and kind of self-select to the area that interests them. We're going to have to have, at least at some point, either subject matter experts or sales folks like on that bot, um, helping them out, go through that process, or at least getting the process set up if it's going to be all automated. And that's, you know, that's going to be a big change for these different type of organizations that marketing will probably have to, to influence. And so I think a lot of what I focus on when I talk to people and like the marketing program at ASU, I present every so often is how much you have to get out of the bubble and focus on influencing folks to, to see from the marketing point of view and see from their point of view, how we can work together to get stuff done for these new type of buyers that are out there.
1: Yeah, that brings up a really interesting point around like who within the organization is in the best position to have that close early conversation with potential customers. If prospects are really truly allergic to um, sales until they're really far along, product uh, teams in theory should be pretty close. But yeah, who's going to own that critical customer insight to figure out like what we're missing, what's top of mind? Um, how do we get closer to really understanding who it is and why they should pay attention to us in the first place. Interesting too, when I ask a lot of entrepreneurs about differentiation, they almost always go into their, how their products and services are differentiated. The reality is there's just so many people that are in in so many organizations that are now cranking out thousands of blog posts and videos and posts and everything. It's the, the first battle really is to have something unique and valuable and relevant to get people to pay attention.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've, had to come out of the fog, like the rest of the MBA students I was describing after the past two years, and and kind of update the way that I approach different different issues when it came to where along the buyer journey we're going to deliver certain pieces of content or how we're going to address like potential leads or customers, um, and yeah, I've had to kind of point to different areas to try to understand like what can be some other ways at at looking at the buyer's journey, like. Um, Uh, Gartner always comes out with great like sales and marketing resources and they talk about the B2B buyer's job and one of the more important things is consensus building. And you know, I I think for consensus building when, okay, fine, you've converted one person to your view of the world, but now they've got to go in their organization and convert everybody else to their view of the world so you can get a really large purchase done if you're in that type of, of business in the B2B sphere you know, a, a thousand word blog probably won't be the best way to to help hasten that along. And so that's where you've kind of got to differentiate your content and offer up other things besides what might be easy now, which is to focus on blogs, for example, like you said, that everybody else has and how hyper saturated that area of content already is.
1: Yeah, there's this big pushback in the last year or two also of like marketing teams that are going after things that are easy to check off the box, like getting MQLs and ebook downloads, but don't necessarily have high purchase intent. So it's tough to get from there to a sales conversation. And if all of that's just being fueled by trying to show progress at any cost to VC backed companies. And it's a challenge to figure all of this out because the reality is most salespeople do want to be involved in these conversations early on, but most of them haven't quite uh change the positioning to where they want to talk about the contents of webinars and white papers they really want to go directly into trying to qualify someone and move the process along so that whole context switching and and, uh, getting the culture to change to be about expertise as opposed to just products it's such a big challenge and i think one of these one of the biggest daunting things that needs to be figured out at the c level in organizations
0: yeah, no, that's 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 for certain. I mean, like if we if we talk about like that con- consensus building aspect, I mean, one of the things that I think we're, we're trying to do more of at my company is have kind of the stackable pieces of content, but in formats that are easy to distribute via email, easy to get past firewalls and, and stuff like that won't get hung up somewhere along the chain so that, you know, we can send that to the champion in, within the organization and help them disseminate it around the rest of the organization if they think that benchmark, for example, is, is is a really good fit for whatever problems they have in the manufacturing or, or engineering space.
1: So you're <laughs> relatively early on in your career in, in digital marketing, content marketing, product marketing, but I know you've had the opportunity to work with some people that I know pretty well that are probably midway through their career in their 40s, probably even uh, pushing into early 50s, 20, 25 years into their career. And I'm trying to like everyone, as for the last seven or eight years, I've been in this unique space of like, okay, I can speak Boomer and can speak Millennial and Gen Z. And everyone sees that it's not going to be very far off before the Chris Carpentiers are controlling significant budget and in a decision-making role. How much, How is that all played out when you've been on teams where... Uh, you represent kind of that new generation of buyer, but you're working with people that are you know, pretty far along in their career and are trying to stay relevant. how How is that consensus building usually worked out?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something certainly i'm I'm doing right now as I try to kind of bring different tools into into the you know benchmarks marketing tool set to help us kind of figure out either, from the perspective of if I was a buyer, how would I want to be interacted with, or, you know, I am a buyer and these are the different ways I've interacted with other companies. Can we bring these type of things in from the inside, looking out to make our content creation process easier or, or what have you? I mean, there, there's a lot of, I think, really great tools that are coming out as far as um, content automation to a certain extent is concerned, as far as making it easier to, to make bite-sized pieces of content, for example. Um, and when we're, when I'm trying to approach a tool like that, for example, we use one tool in video kind of helps automate our process as far as we've got a blog. How can we make it into a stackable social media video? Kind of like you'll see on on Bloomberg Snapchat or Instagram or something um, so that we can ad- kind of turn it into a nice little video. Um, and I think the consensus building part of that for me is, is bringing out the proof points and, and, Reminding myself that, to, I guess, folks that are higher up in the higher up in the organization that have um, looked at problems a certain type of way, you've really got to just hone in on. Look, this is the ROI. This is how much time we can save. This is how much money we'll save based on intern hours or whatever. Using this type of tool versus another type of tool. Here's different types of success that have been that have been brought uh, by other companies using this type of tool. And this is how it's going to be relevant to us. Um, the MBA, for example, teaches you a lot about how you're going to be building consensus or an organization and how important that is. I think going back like to the first question about, you know, folks that are new to the digital marketing sphere, the consensus building part is a really, really critical part. And I think it just you have to be really honed in on how your managers, for example, might interpret the world. And, and I think for me it's it goes back to, to the ROI. It goes back to if we're going to dedicate this amount of budget what are we going to get out of it? Is this going to make my life easier or harder? And don't worry so much about the, the super technical details that you know us as younger folks might understand um, better than folks that are higher up in the ladder and are already kind of uh, have a concrete definition of, of what digital marketing should be in their mind.
1: I think one of the biggest challenges, if I look back over the last eight or ten years, there was this general steamrolling of branding budgets away into demand generation and lead generation budgets, where everything could be measured. So what's ended up happening now is the pendulum has swung so far that you have people like blindly following these uh, OKRs and goals and everything. Yeah, we you know we got these ten thousand MQLs and created all this pipeline and everything like that. The reality though, is it's become more important than ever to have a brand, but the challenge is it's difficult to measure and it's a long game. You know, it's not something like you're gonna create a podcast or a brand new YouTube channel or video series or conference. And, you know, immediately you're gonna go from zero to 10,000 in a matter of a couple of months or, or significantly influence pipeline or revenue growth that quickly.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's for certain. I mean, and the thing is, because, you know, tools like, like, you know, AI-assisted tools are coming out. We talk about the chatbots and things, the, the video example I just gave. Um, you know, there is an opportunity now, I think, as things get more automated to bring that digital marketing budget and kind of swing it back the other way to the longer-term brand type of things. You know, if you're a brand in the B2B space that is supposed to be friendly, is supposed to be approachable, supposed to have uh, subject matter experts you can trust that are accessible and, and solve problems for other businesses well you know, you, you can put them on a chatbot now and that's kind of I kind of see it almost as a little bit of a longer term brand exercise as far as how accessible they are and, and 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 you might chalk that up to brand if if you're looking at a big organization you know 10 people click through a chat bot um, and you have actually built up in in their minds, brand equity, that you are an approachable brand. I think there's ways to do that now with the tools that are coming out that may have not been five or 10 years earlier down uh, in in digital marketing experience as far as um, um, ways to customize how you approach the buyer journey and how you reach out to folks and get uh, moments of value that are really gonna speak out to the potential consumers as your organization really is, is not only talking the talk, but walking the walk when it comes to whatever brand they say that they have.
1: The AI and the chatbot is super interesting to me as well, because it feeds into this whole idea that people just don't have patience anymore. They're not going to watch the 60-minute webinar recording. I've noticed even myself <coughs> that more and more I'm playing back videos at, at 1.25 or 1.5x speed and still you know, getting a 40, watching a 40 minute recording in, in 60 minutes, but um, there's something even deeper than that. And I think that's the whole repurposing movement where let's say you're talking about six best practices and your speaker's talking for 48 or 50 minutes and then some Q&A. It's very likely that the audience doesn't love all six of those best practices equally. And like number two and five are where they really pop. And if you chop them up, In smaller three and five minute videos, you'll likely get people to watch the whole thing as opposed to getting bummed and saying, "Oh, you know, I'm looking at my analytics and my heat map and the video hosting software or YouTube or whatever. And why are people only making it to minute number 12 out of 60 don't they know all the good stuff. And it's really, it's the same thing with the long form content. Um, you have this great 40 page ebook. Um, but maybe people want to consume it in a bunch of 500 word blog posts, or maybe the 500 word blog post is too much. And there's two or three really tweetable. 280 character versions of it that'll really resonate and you don't without being able to have a good uh, solid editorial production process and testing these things you'll just never know
0: yep no um, that's that's for certain I mean you know I'm, I'm a fan of your podcast but the way that I take it in is by LinkedIn posts and different things that that you're posting all the different times right I'm not even sitting down maybe to listen to that whole thing but the snippets is what you know really gets me in it also has the benefit of you've gone in after the fact after the conversation and curated what you think the best and most relevant pieces of content are going to be, you know, and I'm I am still following up enough that I think at the end of the day, after maybe three posts or something, I'm getting the full picture of what was conversed with, you know, that specific podcast guest or something. And, um, that's the way people digest content. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly kind of looking over my shoulder as far as, um, is the time that I'm spending looking at different types of software that might help my own marketing funnel, Like, how much time should I be spending on this versus other things? Like, am I going to get the buy-in through the rest of my organization to use this tool? If not, I'm kind of wasting some time here. Let me not do that. Um, And the brands that make it more easy and approachable to not have that risk when you're doing the research are the ones that I think are going to win in the end
1: one of the challenging things too in any organization is winning over the internal subject matter experts to have them participate. And it can be a pretty light level of participation on their part, like an internal subject matter expert that you interview for a half hour like this four times a year. You know, It's it's very, very low on their part. You give them like a half a dozen things that we want to talk about, come prepared, record it. And from that, you have a piece of long form content. You have a bunch of short form content. You can transcribe it, turn it into text posts, images, posts, and everything. But getting that level of commitment when people are like i don't have four half hour blocks um you know spread out over the course of the year and You're like really you don't have two hours a year to we're gonna put you in lights you're gonna be famous people are gonna be tapping you on the shoulder at conferences and um but at least these are big culture issues for companies to over surmount yeah. overcome
0: yeah they can be and and if things like that are coming up then if it, if it happens enough and, and and marketing folks you know hit up against those sort of roadblocks, all right, well, you know, let's go back to the CMO and the rest of the sales and marketing organization and say, hey, like, we need some sort of brand change because we're supposed to be approachable, right? We're supposed to be all these different things, but if we can't provide this value to customers early on, you know, we have some sort of issue that's popping up and we might want to change the way that we talk about ourselves.
1: Chris, what do you think is the biggest mistake that B2B marketing teams, digital marketing teams are making right now that you see in a lot of different contexts across the board.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, you know a lot of it's a lot of it's covered, and we we just happen to bring it up earlier in the conversation. But the idea about um, being true to your brand and and having the right tools in place or having the right organizational buy-in in place to 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 um, deliver on those brand promises as far as digital goes is is really important. I mean, that's that's what I uh, thought would be a good thing to cover in that point because. Um, there's a lot of organizations, as we mentioned, that aren't getting the subject matter expert buy-in, aren't getting, um, uh, don't have the right tools at the forefront of the customer journey um, to deliver on some of their promises about being friendly or being approachable. And I think that's where it's, it's really important to either step back and look at your digital tool set if you're, if you're just the marketing team kind of in your own bubble type of thing. Uh, but then when you're working with the rest of the organization, trying to figure out how we can get the organizational buy and how can we make you know, sales team, for example, think about things differently and give them uh, a reason for investing earlier on in the buyer's journey um, so that overall we can attract more customers to business, get more leads to things that are you know, at the core of marketing from the, uh, from the get-go. You know, we talked also about how an issue it is with folks just focusing on blogs or just these other types of written pieces of content um, if you don't have the things to back it up as far as making it really quick and easy to book a meeting with the calendar or something, then you're really going to be missing out on what buyers are, are concerned with nowadays because they're either experiencing it with your competitors or they're experiencing it in their consumer lives with, with Amazon, you know, automating the heck out of the customer service process to a good end. Um, and that's going to be a, a big issue for, for these folks coming in.
1: It's funny, not an hour ago, I was looking at my LinkedIn feed, and one of my colleagues was uh, putting a debate out there about sales thinks that everyone wants to have the calendar link to self-book a meeting, and the CMO perspective is, don't give me a meeting link, tell me when you're available for when I'm going to take your meeting, and he was like, who's right? I'm like, well, probably the CMO is is putting the salesperson in the vendor box and making them jump through a ridiculous amount of hoops. And they really aren't even motivated to want to have the meeting with the salesperson. They're just trying to, they're trying to tell someone that they took the meeting for the sake of having to be. So it's a combination of two problems. It's a combination that one, the sales team should be trying harder. I've been saying for probably five or six years that look at the email signature, the business card, the LinkedIn profile, and come up with a better synonym for what it is that your sales team actually does. Anything with like advisor, consultant, specialized, a specialist or something like that knocks the socks off of like sales development or account executive or something like that. So there's a, a positioning problem on there, on that side where the prospect doesn't feel motivation to want to have the meeting in the first place because uh, they don't see value in it. And then on the other side, you just have a, a marketing executive who's completely overreacting, it, who's completely like saturated with marketing, doesn't see you know, marketing to marketers is incredibly challenging, uh, just in and of itself, and doesn't see the unique value in having that, uh, having that conversation. But yeah, the reality is everyone's trying to get rid of friction. You know, someone that's, we say, like, imagine your ideal prospect is doing research on a holiday weekend, it's two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, they have an hour to work on this, they don't want to wait till Wednesday morning when you're available, like 96 hours from now They're And whoever is going to make the self serve experience and have great on-demand videos to watch and comparison guides and case studies, whatever, there's a really good chance that they're going to accelerate dramatically with uh, the this, this self-serve uh, DIY kind of resources as opposed to waiting for a person.
0: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's certain. I mean, you know, for example, I mean, in all the different B2B roles I've had, you know, we've really tried to focus on, for example, like, like ROI calculators. Can we get some sort of really useful tool that'll help the consumer understand their own journey they're going to be going through for a manufacturing process or an IOT process or or, or choosing one sort of pharmaceutical versus another um, but then the next question becomes all right maybe we can get the tool out there but do we have and an adaptive enough sales force or do we have a, a sales force that believes enough in the in the in the holistic sales and marketing journey together that they're going to actually use those type of tools to help in a conversation and what training do we have to do to make it easier for them to do that how do we connect you know results on a calculator with what the sales folks are going to do for example and these are different tools we have to work with between sales and marketing and it a lot of the times too um to help get a more holistic brand experience that speaks to you know what we talk about on investors reports or what have you
1: i think too the <clears throat> idea of the case study interviews and and similar kinds of social proof is incredibly important now just because people have become so much more cynical, jaded, resistant to this. And whether it's content like that on your own site, obviously you're, you're only gonna share your big success stories with content they come across on, uh, review websites. People are all influenced as they go through that flywheel motion of uh, where are the customers that turned into the promoters and the evangelists and the brand ambassadors that are gonna to help to fuel that positive word of mouth.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's all back We're, to the brand. That's completely true.
1: So, Chris, a final area I wanted to ask you about today is where you think digital marketing in a B2B <laughs> context is headed next. Is there something that you see going on right now where we're going to look back two years from now and realize that there was a big inflection point going on?
0: Um, I mean, I, I really am trying to keep as close in an eye as possible on some of the different tools that are coming up as far as like the content automation goes. We we I touched a little bit briefly on it before but you know things that you see going on with GPT3 for text interpretation and then and then you know putting out some sort of text inputs and outputs um, some of the deep fake AI technology that you see out there I mean right now they're being used to humorously you know copy uh, 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 mirror politicians and different things for commercials and whatnot but I think that's going to allow for organizations that know that ABM is important, right? ABM is is certainly, I can speak for both, all the organizations I've worked in, that's completely the way that they've been going as far as how they think about marketing. They go, you know, starting off with a few organizations and landing and expanding from there. These automation tools, I think, are really going to help more sophisticated strategies go through as far as how you can, you know, you can, I mean, right now there's tools out there. You can record yourself like we're doing right now with the video and saying, hi, I'm Chris, check out this company and this tool we have. And then through like some of the deep fake technology, it'll be iterated a hundred different times. It'll go to a hundred different contacts in a, in a certain organization or something. And I think those type of tools is really what's going to help organizations that are suffering with, you know, smaller and smaller marketing budgets still have, you know, pretty sophisticated ABM type of campaigns, but it's, it's going to be, like we were talking about earlier with the younger generation come up. It's gonna be the TikTok generation. I think that's really gonna embrace that <laughs> and make that happen. Um, and hopefully, you know, upper level managers will be open to those types of suggestions and, and let them flow through the organization so they can really differentiate themselves against competitors by giving a, a personalized type of experience through these AI type of tools that make it a lot easier to address a large audience in a personalized type of way.
1: I've even seen among the podcasting tools, it's um, one that, that, oh, Descript, where it actually not only transcribes, but it will automatically detect all of your um, ums and ahs and filler words and get those out of there, not only on the transcript, but on the audio. But then you can go back and it takes a sample of your voice. And if you missed a couple words, it simulates your voice without having to go back and re it So if you have any kind of trading content, like HubSpot Academy is a fantastic example of this, where there's certain content that changes like monthly, there's certain content that can, is a little more evergreen, they're good for a year or two, and they're trying to make it more modular. If you think about podcast or product content, where, you know, in between when you did the recording and when it's going live two weeks later, there's like two changes that need to be made without resetting the whole thing. Like amazing what the, uh, what the, the AI is able to help you figure out and, and simulate with that. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense, especially applying it to ABM and the short, the concept of shorter and shorter videos. Uh, YouTube's already copying TikTok with that, right? The YouTube shorts now. No, <laughs> oh, no yeah. attention no. span.
0: <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I've, I've, I've basically had to delete YouTube because of that. Cause I'm sucked into that funnel. No TikTok, but I got the YouTube, but the, but the, you know, and hopefully that these type of AI tools bring out a larger, you know, conversation to have about you know now we can kind of err less on the side of caution when it comes to making content in the b2b setting i think that's one thing that hangs up a lot of b2b teams is um let's not try new things let's 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 make sure everything's buttoned up and really creative let's buy you know a a five million dollar studio to record things that's appropriate for some things but maybe not for others like we're doing right now and these tools these ai tools can back up a lot of it as far as post editing goes um so that you can be confident in the content that you're putting out to your consumers and also not invest quite as much time in it. So you can experiment more and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then a year later, like put the budget in the appropriate place based on what you've learned from the data.
1: Even just pre pandemic to where we are now, when I used to approach small business owners about video, their first reaction was it three to $5,000 for one or two minute professionally produced overproduced video that would take two months to create. And like things would change two months after it went live and it would sit under museum glass and not get touched. And there still is a place for some of that. It's probably for a small business, 10 or 20%, but the other 80% is this. Um, yeah. <laughs> your product changes and you need to update your explainer video. The studio is like Camtasia or Zoom video or something like that now, and it's recorded and it's live that day or the, uh, the next day. So it allows rapid iterations on all of this. And, and most of all, the education, the trust building, the, the bonding is there much faster. A yep. lot less and, sterile, a lot less corporate
0: and the iterative nature of that type of content might be scary to a lot of folks, but it should be a lot less scary because you can always just, you know, change something out or re-record a new video and it's a 30 minute investment in time instead of an hour or something, or, or <laughs> not an hour days and weeks.
1: <laughs> there's always, if you think about the edit, the content calendar, the editorial calendar, there's always 10 ideas and, um, like, I'm going to guess and say that number two and number seven are going to be the best ones. And you're going to think it's like, no, Josh, it's like three and five. And it ends up being like one that neither of us picked. And you won't know that if you don't have a way to produce and ship quickly and look at the data.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's the truth.
1: All that makes a world to... Difference to figuring out what's working, better customer experience and helping to solve your goals. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast today. If someone has any questions for you or wants to connect, what's the best way to reach you? I know you're active on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, LinkedIn would be the way to go for sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely share any any questions you have or whatever go on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk to people there and, and kind of talk a little bit more about my journey, especially hopefully it'd be fun. Some of the younger folks that are coming through. Uh, digital that want to ask questions. I'm I'm more than happy in all ears to, to offer what opinions or experience I can.
1: Great. And if someone wants to learn a little bit more about benchmark and the work that your team does, what's the best URL you'd send them to?
0: So it's tricky. It's the company's benchmark, but you got to go to bench.com. Bench.com. That's the URL that we got. And so you could learn more about all the different manufacturing and uh, engineering services we do for organizations that are in really complex markets, usually regulated ones that um, might want to bring a certain product to market.
1: Cool. Like I said, I think there is a piece of thought leadership learning book or something like that of the experiences of working with entrepreneurs and mid market and enterprise marketing, all within the first five, six, seven years of your career and like what there is to learn from that because it's about as well rounded as you possibly get with the different perspectives and contexts.
0: It makes me dizzy sometimes, but I'm appreciative of it. (laughs)
1: That's terrific. Chris, thanks again so much. Look forward to connecting again in person sooner rather than later.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thank you,
1: Josh. Take care. Stay safe.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Digitized Podcast. To subscribe and leave a review, check us out at B2BDigitized.com or wherever you like to consume podcast episodes, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.